Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro, beholding the good and the evil that men do. That's what God's Word says, right? Wow. Is my microphone not working today? God is watching us. But not only is He watching, God is at work. He's at work on our behalf. He's shaping history through us. Conquering his enemies through us and bringing glory to himself. This is what God does. He loves and he leads. He leads us to himself. The sum of all love and goodness. And we like sheep, all of us have gone astray. But the shepherd of our souls leads us to the green pastures and the still waters. And he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And in all his ways he works out. His wonderful things in our lives through every little moment that we live. Amen? Amen? God's Word tells us this in Psalm 94 very particularly, especially when we worry about the little things in our lives that we don't like so much. When things go wrong and people do us wrong and they take from us and they treat us wrong, we sometimes think God's not a part of all that too. Psalm 94 says this, our call to worship. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs. Lord, show yourself. Lift up thyself. Thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and they afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger, and they murder the fatherless. Yet they say, The Lord shall not see it, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, you brutish among the people, are you fools? When will you be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chasteneth the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that he may give him rest from the days of adversity, until the pit be digged for the wicked. 
For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers, and who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said my foot slipped, the mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by the law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous, and they condemn innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge, and he shall bring upon them their own iniquity, and he shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. Who's going to cut them off? The Lord. We want to do it ourselves, don't we? God says vengeance is mine. Let us pray. Lord, may we leave this place today trusting that you see us, that you hear us, that you see what goes on in all of our lives and in the lives of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Lord, we come before you a sinful people wanting so much to be the judge and jury over others, wanting so much to see things happen in the time that we set forth as right. But Lord, let us be humbled in your presence today, for that's what it does when we see your glory, is it humbles us. How can we be proud, Lord, when we are but dust, when we are worms, Lord, in comparison to your great magnificence? I pray today, Lord, as we come into your presence like little hungry birds with their mouths open before you, that you would fill them with your truth and that we would grow in grace as we would hear your words. Lord, cleanse us from unrighteousness, Lord. Change us and make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... Remain standing for me for just, not for me, but for God's word for just a moment um, as I read to you my text. My text today is going to be from Psalm 10. We've made it through nine psalms and we're now in Psalm 10 and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 6. Um, my title today, you know, having a computer, maybe I can show it to you. My sermon today is called Vengeance is Mine, Hanging the Hangman. Okay? You can probably see the wordplay that I'm going for here in the title, Hanging the Hangman. We're going to be talking about the story of Haman and Mordecai, as we heard in our reading today from Esther. So let me read to you my text here Psalm chapter 10 starting in verse 1 why standest thou afar off O Lord why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble the wicked in his pride to persecute the poor let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined for the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetousness whom the Lord abhors 
The wicked through the pride of his countenance will seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts though. His ways are always grievous. The judgments are far out of his sight. For, and as for all his enemies, he puffs at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never see adversity. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that your people would hear your word as I have heard it in my study, in preparation for this, Lord, that their confidence in you would be bolstered today, that they would walk out of this place with their shoulders up, with their head up, knowing that you are our God and that you are powerful and that you are over all things and that you look into the affairs of man and you not only look at them, Lord, but you orchestrate them for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Has anyone in here ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been caught in a trap that someone else has set? They plotted against you and for one reason or the other, their plan seemed to work. Everybody say, it seemed to work. Do you know I say it seemed to work because their plots don't work. Everybody say, their plots don't work. You may seem to be caught. You may seem to have been overcome by others, but you cannot be overcome. Do you know that? Do you know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to His purpose? Has anyone ever got you in trouble? They took your job. They took your girl. They hurt your relationship with your friend or family member. They took your money. Or maybe they took even worse than that. Maybe they seemingly took your reputation. Sometimes our reputations need to be stolen. There are very bad people out there looking for prey, internet scams, setups, insurance schemes. People look to benefit themselves. They take what belongs to others and put them at odds with others for their own advantage so they can do so. Some of you little ones might not be fully understand what this is like out in the greater world, but no doubt there's a microcosm of this going on in your own house. All men and women are sinners and all men and women steal and covet what others have and they work to take it from them. It might start small. Perhaps you want to be the favorite in your house. Or maybe you just want to have what your brother or sister has. Maybe if you can't get it yourself, you feel better when you see that they lose it. Folks, this is what the ungodly do. It's not what we do. Everybody say, it's not what we do. You see, when we, when we don't have something, we shouldn't, and we see someone else does, it shouldn't bother us because where does everything that we have come from? It comes from God. And if we don't have it, we shouldn't have it. And if he wants to give it to us, nobody can keep it from us. We're not like the heathen. The heathen doesn't know that. The heathen's out there trying to get what they can get, but we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Even if those gifts to us seem like not gifts at all. What did Job say? We receive good from the Lord all the days of my life. Shall I not receive? 
Evil also the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not a statement of just grief. It's a statement of the reality of what is going on. God gives and he takes. You have because God has given it to you. And you've lost it because God has taken it away. Nobody can take anything from you. I remember years ago we used to have a fruit stand out by the road and we had a jar out there and people put money in it and somebody said, what if someone comes by and steals it? And I said, nobody can steal from me. If they need it more than I do, then God will just give me more. I could care less. They can steal all they want. You might go, that's kind of a crazy way of thinking. No, it's not. This week's psalm is for those who set traps. And it's for those who seemingly have been caught in them. You might feel that you're caught in a trap right now. When someone does you wrong like this, you're tempted to think that you're alone, that God's not watching, that somehow God is not involved. But let me tell you, folks, this is not so. God sees everything and he says that he doesn't let anything go unnoticed. Not a word, not a thought. Not only does it not escape his view, he uses even the evil plans of the wicked and of you to accomplish his will. God told Samson he was going to do this, 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 and this. And Samson was a rebellious, sinful, self-centered man. And what did God do through him anyway? All the good that he said that he would do despite of how evil Samson was, despite how evil you are. If you belong to God, you might be sinful and you may think you're getting away with it. Do you know God will take even the wicked things that you do to do good? It's an amazing thing. That should be encouraging for some of us and it should be terrifying for others. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may do what? He may... Exalted. Now the stories of the Bible help us to understand what is really going on in the heavenlies and here on earth. Because we think we know Luke. We think we understand what's going on and God says, no, you really don't know. If you really knew, you'd just stand with your hands up all the time looking to heaven and be in sheer amazement at his greatness. But instead, what do we do? We look down. We look at what's going on. We look at the thing around us. We mope. We complain. We grumble. We're like the Israelites. Oh, woe is me. But the stories of the Bible help us remember things that we forget. So today we're going to look at a Bible story that teaches this lesson better than I could. Psalm 10 is saying the same thing over and over. And there's a Bible story that actually occurred many, many, many years after this psalm was written. And God made a story to teach us this truth. God is watching. He sees all that goes on between men. God loves his people. He works all things for their good and the advancement of his purpose on heaven. I said this to uh, Brother Matt Clark on the phone this morning when I was telling him what I was preaching about. I said, while our enemies think they are digging holes for us to fall in, they are building walls for the kingdom. I think I'm going to say that again. You might want to put that. You might want to write that on your forehead. While the enemies of, our, of God think they're digging holes for us to fall in, they're building walls for the kingdom. I told the guys up here, while they're throwing rocks at us, thinking they're going to take us down with them, we pick up the rocks. And, and God says, you know, you didn't even have to go get the rocks and bring the rocks. These are rocks you're going to use to build some walls with. Our story comes to us from the book of Esther. Everybody say Esther. 
For most of us, it is a familiar story, but if you're young, it might just be the very first time you've heard of it. Are there any kids out there that are young that might not know the story of the book of Esther? Maybe. It's a story about a young orphaned Jewish girl named Esther. She goes by another name too, Hadassah, but most of the time it's Esther. She lives at a time in Jewish history while Israel is in exile. Many Jews are now returning to Israel. They're, the Babylonians had burned their temple, burned their city, taken everything that they have. And they'd been living with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Hebrew children and Daniel and all that stuff's going on. And eventually God takes down the Babylonians. And they're taken over by the Persians. And then there's Darius and then there's Cyrus. And you guys remember this? And he lets them go back and begin building and begin returning to the land. This takes place while the people are returning to the land and while the Persians are ruling. And a man by the name of Artaxerxes is king of all of Persia. This little girl lives in the capital city of the Persian Empire. And the place is called Susa. And she lives with her uncle Mordecai. I always, every time I read it, I want to say Mordecai. I, I don't know how you say it exactly, but I may go back and forth. The Persian city of Susa is also known as Shushan. It's located some 600 miles from the Jewish homeland, and it is in modern-day Iran. The king Artaxerxes, the Bible refers to him by the name Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. The Persian king who said to reign from India to Ethiopia over 127 different provinces. That's who is the king. He's so enthralled with his own greatness, Jacob. You know what he does? He holds a 180-day feast for himself on how great he is. I mean, could you imagine this? In all of the land from Ethiopia to India, I'm going to hold a great feast for 180 days. We're going to eat all we want. We're going to drink all we want. And we're going to party all we want because I, Ahasuerus, the great, am so great. And he gathered together the princes of the land to show his great power. And when the 180-day feast was over, what do you think he did, Luke? He had another feast for seven more days. I mean, this guy, in fact, the whole book of Esther, if you really want to get into it with your family later on, it's 10 chapters of stories about feasts from the beginning to the ending. There's several different feasts throughout the whole thing, and it culminates ending by establishing a great Jewish feast. This feast, this seven-day feast, this one at the very end was the feast to end all feasts. And I'm going to read to you a little bit about this feast. This feast was only for the people in the capital city. And it was a feast that made the other feast look like no feast at all. It says in Esther chapter 1 verse 5, When the days were expired, the king made a feast. When a 180 day feast was over, he decreed another feast. All the people were there in Shushan and the palace, both great and small, for seven days in the court and in the garden. This palace wasn't just everywhere. It was an inner feast to go inside the court of the palace of the king. He said there were white and blue and, and green hangings. And they were fastened with cords of fine linen, linen and, and silver and gold. And the people walked around on pavement made of red and blue and white and black marble. He, he made all new floors and hung incredible beautiful things everywhere. 
and everybody was drinking the best wine that was made in the whole empire and everybody that drank had a vessel made of gold that was made specifically just for them this would be an archaeological find wouldn't it golden vessels all made specifically for everyone at this feast all exactly for them can you imagine a feast like this you're drinking out of solid gold The vessels being diverse from one another, the royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. The king feasted in the grand courtyard, but his queen Vashti, she had her own feast. Her seven-day feast was going on inside the house. So while the king was feasting out in the courtyard, here he was feasting in, she was feasting inside the palace with all the great ladies of the nation and they were around and she was showing them how rich she was and how great she was and she entertained them and and this was going on can you imagine this is amazing in my mind feasts to go on for months and now this incredible inner feast in the palace and the queen's having her own on the final day of the feast after the king has a great deal to drink the bible says his heart was merry with wine he wants to offer his guests on the very last day the very best thing he can. He can't offer them uh, more golden vessels. They already got him. He can't offer them the best wine. They've already had him. And so he says, I want to bring you the most beautiful woman in the world for you to look upon. And he sends for Vashti. But Vashti says, nope. He said, I want you to come. I want you to wear your golden crown of your kingdom. And I want you to come. And I want all the princes to see that not only am my kingdom great, but I have the greatest, most beautiful, excellent wife in the whole wide world. And she says, ain't coming. She will not obey the king's command. What an incredible story. You guys, there's no way in the world I can go. Do you know this is the longest story in the entire Bible? Ten chapters of the Bible that covers one story. This story is about the two greatest, wealthiest, most powerful people on earth. A man and a woman at the height of their glory. Set in contrast to two of the most humble people on earth. Because you see this story is not really about the king and it's not really about the king's wife. What's the story about? It's about a little girl whose mom and dad were killed who's orphaned not only is she orphaned but all of her relatives and all of her family are in exile they are servants under another nation they're in exile and she's orphaned and she's a girl everybody say you don't get any more humble than that and her uncle who was it says either in Jerusalem or his family members were in Jerusalem when the Babylonians took it way back when and were carried off over here over into Persia He's a nobody. His name is Mordecai. The story's not really about the king and the queen. It's about them. God prepared this story so we can understand how God sees the world. So what's the name of the book? Everybody say it with me. Right? It's not called Ahasuerus, king of the Persians. It's not called Queen Vashti's fall. Right? Nope. It's named after a girl that no one should notice. But God saw her. Everybody say, God saw Esther. God put Esther right where she was. This was his plan. She didn't just happen to be there. In exile, the mother, her mother and father were dead hundreds of miles away from home in Persia. God put her there to show us that God looks on humble people. That he sees us. 
That God does not regard the greatness of men and women. He's not impressed. He uses ordinary people to do the extraordinary things. So what happened to Queen Vashti? Well, the king's very upset. And he asked his advisors, what, what am I supposed to do? And they said, you know what the king should do? He should make a decree banishing her out of the kingdom, out of the presence of the king. Because if you don't do this, the wives of all of the people in the kingdom are going to despise their husbands and they're not going to listen to them anymore. He says, let the king give a ro her royal estate to another that is better than she. I love this line. You know, God even makes his decree so. Even this decree of this heathen king who is drunk and who's living in lavish lifestyle, probably while people are starving to death somewhere in his kingdom, drinking out of golden vessels, God even makes his decree work. I'm going to give her royal estate to another that is better than Vashti. How do you think Vashti thought of Esther? you think she even regarded her when she walked down the street if she ever had to be anywhere near her. She was nobody. She was nothing. Yet God said, Esther's better. What's interesting about this story to me is that in the end, what happens to the queen and king really seemed to matter very little. That's really not what God saw as the most important thing. It's what happens to these two Jewish exiles that God wants us to see. The story is the basis of one of the great feasts of all of Israel and celebrated even to this day. It's called the Feast of Purim. Everybody say Purim. Purim. And you know what? I think after this day, I think that I want to celebrate Purim. I think our church ought to celebrate Purim. I think every, every year we ought to do this. This is, a, this is at the core of Christianity, at the core of who we are. We'll have to look at our calendar. Jews read and reread this story in its entirety every year, once a year. This is a story we should all read in its entirety once a year, and we should remember this. Ten chapter story. It's at the heart of Jewish culture and at the heart of God. The story helped them understand that they were special, that nothing happened by chance, that God was at work in the background for reasons they did not always understand. The story has built hope and patience in the hearts of God's people for thousands of years. So what happened? Why did they remember it? Well, the king sends for all the most beautiful girls in the kingdom to seek out a new bride for himself. And as you might know, or maybe you might guess, Esther is chosen among the women of all the women of the kingdom, a true Cinderella story. Before whoever wrote Cinderella wrote it, there was a true Cinderella story, and if there ever was one, it was this. This despised, orphan Jewish girl living in the city there, humble as she can be, becomes the queen of all the world. That's an amazing story, folks. It's a long story. It has a lot more to offer us than just this one point, but I'm zeroing in on something in particular. Esther becomes queen, and her uncle, remember his name, anybody? Mordecai is given a post at the king's gate. One day he overhears a plot. To kill the king and he gets word to the king through Esther and the men are caught and put to death and the king is saved. Next the king promotes a man named Haman. Everybody say Haman. Haman. Kind of sounds like hangman, doesn't it? Without the NG in the middle. I know in the original Hebrew it was probably hangman or something like that, you know. Just kidding. 
King Ahasuerus promotes a man named Haman above all others in his kingdom, and he is a proud and wicked man. Everybody say he's proud. He's proud and his pride is eating him up. And God puts him right here in the story so we can understand that God resists the... God resists the... Who wants to be proud? Not me. I said this the other day. I'll say it again. I may say it over and over and over the rest of my ministry until you guys get tired of hearing it. All of us hate the lust of the eye. Right? What does the Bible say? All that is in the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life and we hate the lust of the eye we talk about it all the time we hate the lust of the flesh we talk about it all the time but the pride of life it's like a pet that we pet oh i love it it's fantastic oh we'll protect everything that our eyes see we'll worry about all the desires of our flesh but the pride of life oh well now that's a different thing isn't he pretty isn't he nice let's keep him handy Folks, the pride of life is every bit or more dangerous. It was pride that caused Satan to think that he could exalt himself above God. We love our pride. We live with our pride. We stroke our pride. All the while protecting our eyes from the lust of the eye or the lust of the flesh. Willing to pluck out our eyes maybe, but really heart. If we were really to get rid of our pride, we'd have to pluck our heart out. God promotes this proud, wicked man, Haman. And we know he's wicked because of what he does. In fact, his name actually means wicked. The king commanded all men to bow to Haman, and he liked that. You know, the Bible says that, that people that are ungodly, they like, to be, they like to sit in the best seats. They like the uppermost place at the feasts. They like to be greeted by lofty titles. If you're here and you enjoy it and you like it that people look up to you, that's not good. If you like that they look up to you because they respect God and the role that God's put you in, that'd be a whole other thing. But if you really like to be thought of as somebody, then brother, your pride of life needs a, needs a death blow today. He loved it. He loved the people about. In fact, he loved it so much that when he's leaving the kingdom after this great honor, he goes and everyone's bowing. Oh, the king wants everyone to bow. But there's a guy named Mordecai and he's a Jew. And you know what Jews don't do? They don't bow to men, right? Who do they bow to, guys? They bow to God. And so when Haman the proud, Haman the big, Haman the important goes by and everybody bows, what does Mordecai not do? He's not bowing. Why? We bow to God. This made Haman very mad. It wasn't enough that he was second in all the kingdom of Persia when this one Jewish man would not bow. It filled his heart with rage. He tells his family that even though all these wonderful things are happening in his life, he has no joy at all because of one guy who will not bow to him. He goes and tells the king that an entire race of people because, of course, the Jews as a whole are not going to bow to him, right? He goes and tells them, there's an entire race of people in your kingdom that refuse to obey your commands, and they should be put to death. And the king goes, sounds good to me. Haman, whatever you want, no big deal. Kill them all. Haman then takes and he casts lots. That's what Purim is. Everybody say, Purim, Purim. means lots. Haman's cast lots to figure out the day they're all going to die. 
That's why they called the Feast of Purim the Feast of Purim because Haman cast lots. Now the king doesn't know that his beautiful, sweet, new wife Esther is a Jew. She's not about to say anything about it. She doesn't even know about Haman's decree. She has no idea. She's living her happy new life and she's probably trying on a lot of new clothes and probably enjoying uh, the coolest bedroom she's ever seen. When Mordecai hears it though, he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he begins to mourn. He doesn't still bow to Haman because this comes into play. He still, even though he's mourning, even though he's sad, even though he's wearing sackcloth and ashes, when Haman comes by, Mordecai doesn't bow. He was sad. Esther hears about him being sad, wants to know what's going on. And he tells her, and this is pretty scary for her. She's, she's afraid, but she thinks, well, maybe the king will never find out. Maybe he'll never know that I'm a Jew. Maybe I'll be okay. She literally considers letting all of the Jews be killed. But Mordecai is a strong man of faith in God, and he reminds her who she is. Yes, now she is the queen of Persia, but before that, she's a child of who? God. Do you know some of you may be important people one day? Some of you may be the president of the United States or the emperor of the world, Steve, right? If we ever have one, right? I, I doubt it, but just, you know, just in case, just so you know that whoever you are and whoever the world thinks you are, what you are first is a child of God. It wasn't by chance and it wasn't her great beauty. It was God, Mordecai told her, that was at work in her life to elevate her above all women. Now, moms and dads, this is a memory verse for all of you. And this is something I want you to get imprinted on your brain. Okay? What Mordecai says to her is at the core and the heart of faith in God that we must understand. Mordecai commanded Esther. He said, you think you're going to escape in the king's house more than all the Jews? He warns her. You know, warning people of what God is going to do is not threatening them. Some of you are going to need warned from time to time. You want to lift yourself up in pride, go ahead. Let me tell you what will happen. God's going to bring you down. You want to resist God? Fine, you can. But you're going to be crushed to powder. That is how it works. It's not my threat. It's God's. He tells her this. He said, do you think you're going to escape the king's wrath more than the Jews? And this is the part, verse 14 of Esther 4. This should be a memory verse. Maybe, there, maybe it reads better in the ESV, but I'm going to explain to you what it means. He said, if thou altogether hold your peace, then shall there an enlargement and a deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Now, most people don't know that part of the story of Esther. They, they know this. Who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is the one everybody knows, right? But people don't remember the verse before. What Mordecai told her is that God is going to deliver his people. He knows the story. He knows the story of Moses. He knows the story of every deliverer. He knows the story of Joseph. He knows all of the stories. And he knows that God is not going to let his people die. 
He knows the stories of David. He knows the stories of Saul. He knows all of these stories and he knows God is not going to abandon his people. And you know what? If he doesn't deliver his people through you, Esther, he's going to deliver it some way and you're going to die probably in the process for being faithless and fearful. I am telling you right now, God is going to do great things in the world. And he'll do them through you if you have faith. But if you live like the people in the world, you can guarantee you'll have no good stories. And your story will be a sad one. We walk by faith, not by sight. She was in the place. God had put her in the place. And she thought she could just maybe not say anything. God is going to deliver us as he always does. Do you want to come? Do you want the deliverance to come from you or somewhere else? Where do you want deliverance to come from, Steve? From someone else or from you? Someone else or you? It's going to be me. I want it to be me. Everybody say, I want it to be me. I don't want to be faithless. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be more afraid of men than I am of God. People that live like that have great and incredible things happen in their lives because a great and incredible God is at work in their life. Not because they're great. We should always have this set at the forefront of our mind. God is doing wonderful things through someone. Why not you? Esther, Esther risks her life, but what happens is wonderful and amazing. Through her, God not only saves her uncle's life, but the lives of all the Jews throughout the entire Persian Empire. When Haman tells his family that one old Jew and the king has stole all of his joy, they tell him to use his power with the king to build a great gallows to hang Mordecai on. And Haman says, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to build this gallows. And he builds it 50 cubits high right at his own house. I mean, could you imagine being that eat up with hating some other person? I cannot, really. I'm going to build a 50 cubit gallow in my own yard and I'm going to hang them at my house. All for what? pride the day before Haman plans to kill Mordecai God makes King Ahasuerus unable to sleep so he asks to read the records of the palace so he can read them and get sleepy when he reads about Mordecai the man who saved his life from the plot to kill him he asks to himself and he go and he calls for the people what was ever done for the guy that saved me from this horrible plot to kill me the answer was, nothing was ever done for this man. He was basically forgotten. How do you think Mordecai felt way back then? He's at the gate. He sends word. He saves the king. And the king doesn't even send him a thank you note. Anybody ever do anything good? Anything you think is great and no one notices? Yeah. Sarah's going, yeah, me? Yeah, I know I haven't done some great things. I wish someone would notice me. I'm noticing. You're doing a good job. <laughs> Nobody noticed. It wasn't time to notice. The perfect time for this to be noticed was this time. On this night, in the middle of the night, right here, bam! So he's reading it, what shall be done? For the man, I don't know what shall be done. Wonder who that could be. What? It's my buddy Haman. Come on in. And Haman comes in there, and the king, the king has got... He's been reading the records. He wants to know what can be done for this man. What can be done? He goes, what can be done for the man in whom the king delights 
and Haman, the man who's filled with pride, who always thinks everybody's talking about him. That's what proud people do. Oh, what shall be done for the man in whom the king delights? Huh, let me think. <laughs> oh, the king's going to do something good for me, and I can even name it. Woo! A parade shall be made for this man. He shall ride upon the king's horse, and it'll go all over town, and everyone will know what a great man he is. And the king's like, man, that's a really good idea. Could you go get Mordecai? Could you put him on my horse and could you lead the parade? <gasps> Folks, do you know what the Bible says happened? He does it. He knows he has to do what the king says. He does it, but when he's done, he's so undone. Now, do you think that Mordecai is wearing sackcloth and ashes in his parade? I don't think so. In fact, I know what happened to his sackcloth. Haman puts it on! After this event, after he leads him around, his pride is so assaulted, the heart of his pride is so ripped out and thrown on the ground that Haman can't take it. He puts on sackcloth and ashes because he's utterly and completely humiliated. Everyone that knew him knew that he had built the gallows. Everyone that knew him knew that he hated Mordecai. Everyone knew that he had made this entire plot and he's leading the parade. Oh, look at the great Mordecai. Guys, this is a great story. Why did God make a story like this? Because it's hard to forget, right? God wants us to remember this. This is what God is doing every single day of our lives, in every event of our lives. What we think is going to hurt us, God is using to exalt us. What we think might go against the kingdom. People, people today, I'm telling you, it's a frame of mind. They get together and they talk about how horrible the internet is and they how, you know, and it is, there's terrible things on it, and TV, and Hollywood, and the nation, and the president, and how sick it is, and how bad it is, and how horrible it is. And if you want to look at the world that way, look at it that way. But I don't look at it that way. I, I look at it like this. You know what God has done? He's made a way that everyone on planet Earth can talk to each other. He's made it a way on planet Earth. Every human being can hear the Word of God. Every language can be translated instantly. God's Word. Nothing is holding back God from speaking to the world like Jesus did at the time where all the people spoke one language. This is happening right now. We've, we've created a culture that loves to look and loves to know and loves stories. And God is preparing them to hear and to learn the greatest stories known to mankind. And it's going to transform them and ch change their lives. God is using a heathenistic, self-centered billionaire to act like the most Christian president we've ever had in what he does in government, even though he acts like a, a wretch half the other time. It's a shame against us all, but it's, it's perfect. God builds the gallows. He lets the wicked build the gallows that he's going to hang them on. We don't even have to build it. It's amazing to me. By God's providence, the very moment Haman arrives at King's Palace, all of this happens in the perfect time. Mordecai could have been mully-grubbing around. Why? Nobody noticed that I saved the king and now I've got to die. He could have. I don't know. But now when Mordecai is riding around, he's thinking, what in the world is going on? This is not what I thought was going to happen. I thought the next thing I was going to know is that I was going to be dead. 
God uses Esther to expose Haman's evil desire to have all of her people killed. The king is angry, and as you, we heard in our reading today, he said, who's doing this? Haman, the king says, go hang him. And they said, he's even got a gallows prepared in his yard. Hang him on his own gallows. There's more to the story here too. Part you might forget, because it's not just about that, but they can't undo the king's decree to kill all the Jews. They can't. So the king says, Esther and Mordecai, you can make another decree. You can kill everybody that wants to kill Jews. So that way, when the time comes on the day that all the Jews are going to be killed, there'll be no one to kill the Jews. And more than 75,000 enemies of God are brought low. Bam! Now, the Feast of Purim was established by Esther. She said, one day I'm going to have sons, and those sons are going to be Jews because they're going to be mine. And unless you want your sons to die because someone's reading the law, and they read in there, we're allowed to kill the Jews. We don't want them ever to forget what God has done here. So we're going to establish a feast to remember that God's in charge, that he loves his people, that what he does when the enemies come against God's people, bad things happen to them. And she establishes Purim. Now I know you're like, we read Psalm 10. What in the world? What in the world? Are you, have you gone crazy? Well, let me read it for you. Psalm 10. Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? I bet you Mordecai was thinking that, right? I bet you Esther was thinking that. And, and, and God knows what's going to happen. He knows the end from the beginning. Verse 2, the wicked in his pride, he persecutes the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. What's his prayer? They made a hang thing. Hang them on it, right? David's prayer is coming true in this story, right? For the wicked boasts his heart's desire. He blesses the covetousness whom the Lord abhors. The wicked, through his pride and his countenance, will not seek after God. God's not in his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. The judgments are out of his sight. For all his enemies, he puffs at them. He said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Sounds like old Haman, doesn't it? His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. He sits in lurking places. In secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are privately set against the poor. He lies wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies and he waits to catch the poor. And he does catch them. When he draws his net, he crouches and he humbles himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face and he will never see it. Arise, O Lord, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Does God forget the humble? Nope. God resists the... Does he forget the humble or does he give grace to the... Wherefore doth the wicked contend with God? He says in his heart... You're not going to do anything about it, God. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholds mischief and spite and requires it with thy hand. The poor commits himself to thee. Thou art a helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked, of the evil man. Seek out the wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king over all the earth, and the heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause their ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed.
me read for you here the rest of Psalm 10. If I can find it in my Bible here. Everybody say, the Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord is king forever and ever. And the heathen are perished out of his land. The Lord heard the desire of the humble. Thou will prepare their heart. And they will cause thine ear to hear. God will have his holy will. God is watching. God sees us. This story of the book of Esther reminds us. This psalm reminds us that David's prayers come true. They come true in our lives every single day. That God is at work in our lives and we need to have faith. We need not to despair when things don't happen in the timing that we think. When things don't happen how, they, how we think. When we think others have taken advantage and will go unpunished and undone. In your life, God hangs the hangman. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we would do well to remember this today and every day. Sometimes we're frustrated at what appears to be the success of evildoers. And I know it's because we don't have eyes to see, but Lord, give us eyes to see. Help us to see your hand at work in our lives. Help us to have faith. Help us to believe your word more than the things that we see. Lord, help us to trust you. That you are taking care of things and making things right. That we, could, we can't do that. We're not the judges of the earth. In fact, when we judge, we judge very poorly. But Lord God, you are at work in our lives. Lord, help us to see this every day and live this way. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you and it's a pleasure to serve you.